What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the June 2020 edition of Walking Carpet. I'm Josiah Leroy. With me, my co-host from New York City, BPS himself, Brian Patrick Stoyle. Brian, how are you on this fine evening? I'm very well, Josiah. How you been holding up? So far, so good. And, uh, crazy, crazy times, no doubt. Uh, but today, <laughs> we're uh, we're here to talk Star Wars, uh, of course. Here uh, on our all everything Star Wars talk show, we've got it on YouTube.com slash The Geekiverse, as well as just about every major streaming podcast network you can imagine. Uh, it's funny because I'm just like, you know, I'm looking at the video feed here, and man, I need a haircut bad. This is it's getting <laughs> tough, Brian. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting that. at the. <laughs> you you still look as dapper as ever. I'm I'm like, on the sides here. It's kind of you know getting out a little bit. And I'm not even talking about just my facial hair. It's just uh, mm-hmm. you know it's time for a haircut. So yeah, walking carpet was, is appropriate. It really is at this point. It's two hairy guys talking Star Wars. So definitely <laughs> got that walking carpet vibe in the visual now. Love it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so. Uh, today we're going to have a, kind of a laid-back, fun discussion here on uh, Rise of Skywalker. We want to get into just uh, a bunch of Easter eggs that are in the movie. It's funny, Brian, I always run into this thing where uh, whether I'm... Re- it's one of the first things I do after I see a new Star Wars movie. I flock to the mm-hmm. internet to see, right, what Easter eggs did I miss? Uh, and I always feel like uh, when I want to write an article about them or talk about them on a show like this, that most Star Wars fans know about them. Um, not always the case. I feel like there's always at least one or two, if not a handful, that uh, when someone talks to me, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I didn't hear about that one before. Uh, so mm-hmm. we've we've kind of uh, we've got two lists here that we're kind of kind of go through and, and just uh, you know spur on a nice discussion. One uh, from Vulture and one from Vanity Fair that came out uh, relatively uh, close to when the actual movie came out in theaters in December. So kind of a fun discussion. Needless to say, spoilers if you uh, you somehow haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah, uh, we'll get into it, but. Uh, it's funny, Brian, I'm looking at my Facebook um, memories feed today, and mm-hmm. three years ago, uh, this week, you and I recorded uh, for the first time. Uh, we had you on Walking Carpet in its first uh, iteration, as um, I think you were our first actually guest, so our, no- our first non-at-the-time Geekiverse member. Uh, we had you over to my house uh, to talk some Buffalo Bison Star Wars night. It was mm-hmm. um, uh, so summer of 2017, and... Uh, I see you're wearing your, your one of your Bison's jerseys there, which is always awesome. You got to represent, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Uh, it, it's funny, like we we had just uh, a fun time. I think uh, sitting in my kitchen recording that, and just uh, obviously we hit it off. But uh, from that year, so 2017 is uh, is you were a writer. You you started in it. You were a director, if I'm not mistaken. What uh, what. Mm-hmm. Fun times, uh, do you recall, from leading up to that production here, is we kind of unfortunately can't get to one this year. Yeah, it's a shame, man. That event has been going annually for, you know, this would have been year 13, I think, of that event, and at least 10 or 11 of having a, a show involved with the production. So it's very strange not having that this summer, especially since uh, the week we're recording this, this coming weekend would have been the date that Star Wars Night would have been. Um, I always love that production. It's one of the proudest things uh, in my career. I am so happy with the Northridge who helps me put it on. I'm so happy with the working relationship that the Bisons have. Um, our contact of the Bisons who first reached out to our group to invite us along, Anthony Sprague, he just became general manager of the team this season. Not the greatest season to have for your first year as general manager, but... You know, it can only get up from here, so I'm going to enjoy that for That's him. Right. Uh, 
We're just proud of him. We're really proud of this guy. He was on the sales team when we met him forever ago, and now he's the general manager of the team, partially because That's of Star Wars. That's so Knight. crazy. Right? Wow. He just grew yeah. up the ladder, man. He really, I mean, he's also fantastic at his job, and he has done really wonderful things for the team, but he sees opportunities to, you know, grow the brand and grow fan interest in development. Star Wars Night being one of them. Uh, obviously, we drew quite some good crowd. I remember seeing you and a lot of the Geekerfers crew in the audience, as well as covering our event prior to uh, that. I remember you guys came and did a video segment on our show uh, prior to the release. So that was actually really fun. Yeah, that's uh, it was one of my uh, more fond memories, uh, especially of our, our time in 2017. Uh, mm. we, we were thankful enough to... Uh, yourself in the Northridge, as, as well as the Bisons for just letting us hang out. Um, we basically we did yeah. a few interviews on field. Uh, we got to to run around. I remember um, fondly kind of standing in the dugout and watching Seth Zelinsky from the Geekiverse run around with a camera um, as you guys were rehearsing. Uh, one moment where basically people were running out from home plate, and um, I just remember thinking like he's gonna get run over like because there were so many people that were all like intermingling and everyone knew their places but he was kind of the one variable <laughs> who was random <laughs> and, and running around but he was so focused and i was like oh my gosh he's either gonna trip over a base or, or someone's gonna run into him so I, I just remember having kind of that that funny uh funny thought there um but yeah we like i've been able to make some friends as a result of, of even just being involved with that night so i, I you know some some nice memories here um yeah the other thing is, too, so we said that was three years ago, but mm -hmm. of course another BPS thing showed up in my feed today, because we love the Bisons and Star Wars Night. Uh, we did um, just a, like a written article, five questions with uh, Brian Patrick Stoyle. So mm -hmm. uh, we, we posted that, and that was a little bit to, to hype Star Wars Night for that year, but also um, just to ask you about your Star Wars fandom. So yeah, uh, another, another good memory. Oh, it was a great time, man. You guys have always been good to me, and it's really nice being part of the, the group now, you know? It's uh, it's kind of funny being like that first guest on Walking Carpet and now being the co-host. It's, uh, you know, I'm working my way up. I'm working my way up. <laughs> it, just like Mr. Sprague, right? You're, you're working your way up the ladder. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're lucky to have you, no doubt about it. I, uh, I remember even going to the Buffalo Bison Star Wars Nights, um before having and sat down with you for many years um my mm -hmm. it was just circled on the calendar my family would always get a few mini packs um so at least eight tickets and uh it was just kind of like uh, a circled night on the calendar that we would always make time for and i always remember watching you and be like oh my gosh the guy really does look like luke skywalker uh and you know here we are uh many uh, many years later just uh, having a nice chat about it so uh mm -hmm. good times all around uh you know, I, I hope that we get to see this, uh, and I believe we will, in uh, 2021, as things uh, get to some semblance of normal as time moves on. Uh, yeah. But you, know, you can bet we'll be there to, to talk about it and preview it then. So even though it's not happening this year, we'll, we'll look forward to next year. So, Brian, let's do a, a quick intro on Episode 9. Um, mm -hmm. I, we haven't talked about it a ton. Uh, this is the the one that we haven't really conversed about a lot. Uh, without going maybe down, too far down the rabbit hole, what mm -hmm. uh, what did you think of the movie? I, I think I've got a little bit of a sense of it, but I'd, I'd love to hear, especially for our, our fans listening and watching, what is your overall of sense of the movie? Maybe some bullet points you liked and some you didn't. I did not care for The Rise of Skywalker very much, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. And I 
feel a little weird saying that because it's not like me to say I was disappointed in a Star Wars anything, let alone one of the major films. But I found overall that a lot of the things that I like in Star Wars were not met in quite the same way. I think that if I were to shut my brain off and just look at that as an action movie with no context outside of that film itself, it's a very fun and, to be fair, satisfying in that context light. The minute I start looking at it as the ending of the sequel trilogy, there's a lot of weird bumps in the road because of the, um, the housekeeping that J.J. decided to do with the story. And then when I look at it as the ending of the Skywalker saga, I just have so many questions and so many nitpicks. That said, there are things about that movie I genuinely enjoy. Uh, so it's not something that I want to hate on. It's not something that I would sit down and go, oh, I can't believe this is the worst movie ever. I can't believe anybody would like this. I honestly am very happy for my friends who say that it's their favorite one of the sequel trilogy. I'm very happy for people who say that to them, J.J. stuck the landing. That's awesome. I'm very happy for those people. I'm just not one of them, but I kind of let it go. Sure. Hey, that's that's totally fair. I um, mm-hmm. I probably fall somewhere in the middle. So, unapologetically, I can find, I feel like, the positive in every Star Wars. Or at least what I deem as the positive. Um, sure. So, in terms of the sequel trilogy... We know my feelings on Force Awakens. Uh, that you know, mm-hmm. that's still my, my number one. Uh, Last Jedi, I, I, you know, as polarizing as it may have seemed on the internet a few years back, and, and still is, uh, I, I think it's a masterpiece. When we get to this one, uh, a little bit, you know, I again still love just about everything Star Wars in some way, shape, or form. But mm-hmm. I felt like there was a lot of uphill stuff going into this one, and it almost. Not that I am, I'm making excuses for it, but it felt like it was as good as it could have been um, in, in a lot of ways. Because there there really was a lot going against it, right? We mm-hmm. we lose Colin Trevorrow, J.J. comes back, totally different flavor from where we were going with Force Awakens to Last Jedi. Felt like we were trying mm-hmm. to curb it back to Force Awakens um, feeling, which is, you know, it's fine. Um, Carrie Fisher, obviously, passing away and having to decide what to do with her story in a meaningful, respectful way, which I think they did the best they could. Again, you know, it's, it's incredible that they were able to do what they did. And, um, I, so I was on, um, Sal Capaccio's show, uh, from WGR, uh, two weeks ago, and he ranked the Star Wars movies as a relative newcomer. And he had it towards the bottom, just ahead of Phantom Menace, um, because he's, and he said kind of what you said in a way, where if I just look at it as its own movie, as an action movie, not something that's relatively, you know, it's it's in the Star Wars universe, it's tying up loose ends, this and that. He goes, it's fine. It's a good movie. But I've seen that story before. And that's where he came from. And then I said, if you could describe the movie in one word, it would be safe. We're uh, safe yes. as... <laughs> You know, it didn't take chances like we saw in The Last Jedi, where there's a lot of different things, that a lot of moving pieces. Um, and you're right, I think a lot of people, this is their favorite of the sequel trilogy. So it's kind of polarizing from that aspect, uh, to say some mm-hmm. people, I think a lot of people who didn't connect with Last Jedi found themselves connecting with this one. And that's not exclusive, but that's kind of my take on it. I would agree with that. In uh, my experience, most people who didn't like The Last Jedi 
found the things that they were looking for in the rise of skywalker and again perfectly happy for them i very much agree with you on that safe judgment of the movie i think it was kind of like a movie made by committee and to be fair that was one of the hurdles disney and lucasfilm had to try to jump over was making a movie that the general fandom would like after a movie so divisive as the last jedi and that's a challenge and i don't envy them that challenge by any means but it was definitely something that was in the cards and affecting what choices they made in the movie and that we got the result that we got. Seeing uh, what we've kind of heard um, from from different sources and kind of alleged leaks, uh, we've seen uh, that Colin Trevorrow's movie, it's, it would have been called Duel of the Fates. Mm-hmm. And uh, seeing some of the concept art and then some of what it seems like are pieced together story bits. Who knows what's true and what's not. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it would have been a drastically different film that may have felt more in line with uh, continuing some of The Last Jedi's themes, uh, tying it more closely. Um, I'm sure you've read up on or seen some of that. Do you think mm-hmm. that may have been the reason that they decided to part ways with Colin Trevorrow? To a point, I think that... I don't remember when Colin Trevorrow was released in relation to The Last Jedi coming out. I for, honestly forget the timeline on that. I'm I know, it's pretty confident it was before Last Jedi, because I'm trying to think, and I, I'm pretty sure we reported on it with a, a Week in Geek, which is a show we used to do, and it was during 2017. So I feel like it was before Last Jedi came out. But mm-hmm. That sounds about right. I don't... I don't recall because I feel I remember they talked about Colin, you know butting heads with Colin. There was stuff in the news or not, you know, sharing the same creative uh, vision, if you will, and that they were leaning towards asking Ryan Johnson back, but Ryan Johnson didn't want to do Episode Nine after that because he wanted to do his own trilogy, and that's where that stemmed from. You know, we'll never know that story for sure, but I thought all of that was kind of interesting, and that again would have been probably a drastically different movie if we had Ryan Johnson with it. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Can there only were a imagine. Lot of rumors. We can only imagine. There were a lot of rumors coming out of, you know, Lucasfilm sources, and that's fully in air quotes. Take that for what you will with the biggest grain of salt possible. That Lucasfilm higher ups generally favored Ryan Johnson's storytelling over the other ones that they had involved with the trilogy, whether that be Colin or JJ or what have you. So I can imagine there was a lot of a a lot of scrambling after Last Jedi got that split reaction that it did. Um, that said, if Colin was kind of straying away from Ryan Johnson's take, if he was released during production of Last Jedi before that happened, I could see Lucasfilm wanting to hedge closer to something like Last Jedi, but then the movie came out. So then they had to, you know, play it a little bit safer. With, uh, and I'm not knocking J.J. for that. I mean, J.J. even by his own admission has said like he generally doesn't do endings. He doesn't like doing endings to the point, or to the um, extent that he likes doing beginnings. Setting up stories. He's really good at that. Like, For- Force Awakens raised a lot of interesting questions. And Ryan Johnson took that information and answered those questions. Whether it was the answer a fan liked or didn't like is up for debate, but... You know, we went with what was started in that trilogy in The Force Awakens. 
And then JJ just kind of went and said, well, this is the right answer. You know, like a teacher kind of red penning over, you know, your, your test after uh, taking it. But, you know, it is what it is now. This is the, this is the movies, the trilogy. This is the canon. So we'll see what, so the, what comes of it now. The movie we got, the, the final mm-hmm. version here. We're going to go through some, uh, some Easter eggs as a, a talking point. Uh, some, like we said, you may have heard of, some you may have not. Uh, so maybe we'll shed some light on that. I think this is always one of the most fun parts of a, a Star Wars release. Uh, so in looking at um, the Vanity Fair article that we, we had just for reference, uh, first thing they mention is um, the title scroll. So mm-hmm. they call it a roll call, which uh, in a way kind of incorporates a bunch of the, the different Star Wars movies before it. We see uh, revenge in in uppercase letters. We see um, what they call a merger of the Last Jedi and A New Hope, and saying that Rey is the last hope of the Jedi. And maybe my favorite one um, is that they mention the Phantom Emperor, uh, which is a really nice callback to Episode One, the the Phantom Menace. There's a lot mm-hmm. going on in that crawl, and they've really got this to catch people up and set the pace quickly because Episode Nine doesn't wait for you it moves quickly so seeing that crawl uh for the first time brian what goes through your head as uh you see these words pop out and how it ties back to some of these other skywalker saga chapters well it's also the only crawl besides revenge of the sith to feature an exclamation point which is a very interesting note to give to a piece of punctuation but you know that is um a tactic that we have seen earlier in the skywalker saga is to just hit that opening crawl right away with some oomph in a literary sense, you know, war or the dead speak. So I could see them really, you know, punching that out very quickly. And that does set the tone for the pace of the movie. I mean, the events of Revenge of the Sith are so much greater than those of Phantom Menace and um, Attack of the Clones in size, scope, duration of events. And the speed of The Rise of Skywalker, as you said, moves so much faster than the previous two sequel trilogy movies. So I think it's a very apt use of the extra punctuation. I think that the inclusion of, you know, uh, phrase dropping of these previous um, expressions used in the last couple of movies is a nice way to kind of tie those things in. I'm not surprised. Um, J.J. constantly tends to favor romanticism over the actual lore. So it's a continuation which we also see throughout the dialogue of the rise of skywalker so it's not a bad setup for what you're going to get following yeah it's uh it's indicative of of a lot of what was about to follow um so it mirrors it in that sense um i don't remember if i've talked about this with you bright did you know that i saw this movie like a little bit early i can't remember if not- we talked about this or not we, you mentioned it briefly, I believe, online, but you never let it out of the bag until well after the movie came out. I remember we saw each other very briefly the night I saw it for the first time, and you were just, you know, so incredibly happy and joyful to be at a Star Wars movie, as one should. <laughs> and yes. I remember later on, you, you did mention that you got to see it a little early. Um, you're just getting all of the uh, all the early access. I mean, if I remember correctly, you guys were the ones to leak the teaser poster for the rise of skywalker a while back or is that something we shouldn't be talking about anymore 
<laughs> no, no, we can talk about it. Um, I can't go super specific, but um, no, <laughs> yeah, like this this movie, uh, it it was really nice on a personal level and a geekiverse, uh, you know, quote unquote professional level. So truly, um, a friend of a friend um, who works at an agency that was helping with promotional uh, art for for mm-hmm. the movie. Uh, I was I was giving this or given this image in, I believe it was late January, uh, mm-hmm. so, you know I I basically crapped my pants when I got it, but I was sworn <laughs> to secrecy before it. It was like you cannot say a word, you can't do anything with it until I, I give you the the heads up. But at the right time, you know we can we can throw it out there. And that was, like, the coolest scoop I think I'll ever get in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I got to do it for my favorite movie franchise. Like, I would have never thought this was going to happen as a kid. Uh, and I remember traveling for work the day we were allowed to release it. So mm-hmm. I'm in a hotel room, basically getting the post ready for the following day. Because I just got the text and saying, all right, tomorrow, let it let it fly. So I'm, I'm in a hotel room, kind of, you know, I've, I've got my laptop, I've, I've been... I mean, Photoshop, making sure I've got everything hidden that needs to be hidden, and I'm, I'm doing what I have to do, and I um, I remember messaging Pete and saying tomorrow, because we have a scheduled content portion of our Slack channel to let our staff know when stuff's coming out, I said, I tomorrow we're, we're releasing <laughs> an episode <laughs> 9 promotional poster, and immediately, Pete goes, how do we know it's real? I go, we don't, but I've I've got a, a lot of good reasons as to why I think it's real. So when we finally got what we got in uh, the movie trailer in April, and then I believe it was literally the exact thing we got, but put on a shirt at Hot Topic in, like, August. That was just more validation yeah. for me, and I was just so <laughs> excited about it. Um, man, th- like, I could fanboy over this so hard. Uh, we also... So in, in talking about seeing the um, episode 9 early... I, yes. Um, the same source, by the way, mm-hmm. which like I owe this person so so much. I can't name, but anyway, uh, they hooked me up with a uh, relatively local movie theater. Um, so it was Monday of the week the the film was coming out. Texted me and said, um, "How would you would would you be interested in seeing a certain movie a day early?" And I go, <laughs> of course, go on, you know, yeah. in a hushed tone. And he's he's like, again, you can't tell anybody. Here's when we can do this. I just have to get the approval um, to bring a friend, basically. And, you know, I'm going to vouch for you, so you got to be quiet about it. So I was like, okay, 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 whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And uh, I hit a wait a day, and he goes, all right, we're on. And it was about a, a two and a half hour drive from from where I live in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was very very snowy that day. It was whiteout conditions. Like I wouldn't have gone to maybe any other movie, feeling as if I was risking my life going ten miles per hour looking for any semblance of the road in front of me. But mm-hmm. you know, damn it, I made it and I got to see this movie. And I had uh, basically it was hey you're at this theater it's locally owned, they're letting you see this early. Uh, buy some concessions. I was like, I'll buy whatever you want me to buy. And so I get a, a popcorn bucket. It's a TIE fighter. Really cool. 
Yeah. We go into the movie theater. It says Jumanji on it. The entire time, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm being punked. I even recorded a little video in my car before I went in. I'm like, okay, someone at the Geekiverse has got my number and gave it to like an anonymous source. And like, I drove all this way, risking my life, and I'm going to go in and it's just going to be Jumanji or it's going to be like Spaceballs or just something stupid. So, uh, getting to the crawl, I see the crawl and I still don't believe it. Like, I'm like, I don't know if this is legit. I don't know if just, like, this is fan fiction or so. So, like, I had to wait until I actually saw Kylo Ren before I believed I was there. Um, not to just last thought on this, um, someone from Rooster Teeth, like, their version, I don't remember, I'm not as familiar with Rooster Teeth as I should be, but their version of me, just total Star Wars fanboy, uh, mm -hmm. was punked into thinking he was seeing an early uh, showing of Force Awakens. And someone, when we saw that video, said, it's going to happen to you one day. So it, it was in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I drove all this way. They're, they're totally going to screw me over here. And they're going to film it. And it's going to be on the internet. And that's how it's going to go. So I did get to see it early. No one was poking me. Um, I go to see it the next night at the mm. premiere in Buffalo, right, our first night, you're there, a lot of our uh, Northridge and other cosplay friends are there, it's so great, it's the celebration to see them, I get to catch up with you for 10 seconds and get our selfie, <laughs> it was awesome, and mm -hmm. it was so hard going into the theater with my entire family, uh, my wife, uh, or uh, Jeff Pavlak from the Geekiverse is there, we've got a handful of friends, and... To, to put on a poker face to say that I had not seen this movie and to not lead on because there's certain moments I knew that Jeff would like and my sister would like and I would it would be hard for me not to kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And um, I successfully made it. We make it out of the theater and we're standing in the hallway. There's no one around us, so don't, don't have to worry about spoilers. And we're standing in a circle just talking about the movie and it's bittersweet, it's the last one. Mm. And I go... Guys, I I have a, a confession. I have to tell you something. And everyone just kind of leans in like that, and they go, what? What's, what's What happened? Mm. I go, I saw the movie last night, and everyone just screams. <laughs> you would have thought I just said I was ha having a baby. They all go, no way! And it was, it was so funny. Um, oh, so my gosh. Some great moments, you know, some nice memories surrounding getting leaks and early access to this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a dream come true. I don't know how you lasted 24 hours not being able to tell anybody anything about that movie. Kudos to you. Brian, I... Oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. I wanted to talk to people <laughs> so bad. Not to spoil things, but to just gush and be like, I can't believe I saw the movie last night. It's like I walked in with the TIE Fighter bucket, kind of like, again, tongue-in-cheek, and my sister goes... When, uh, where'd you get that popcorn bucket from? I go, I went to the movies yesterday. And she goes, to see what? I go, uh, buddy of mine wanted to see Jumanji, uh, so I went for the second time. <laughs> so I kind of wasn't lying. It was in a theater that said Jumanji above it, so that, yeah. Anyway, I digress. I'm sorry. I really, really wanted to share that story. So, yeah, that was fun. It's a good story, man. It's a good story. <laughs> Thank you for, for entertaining uh, my, my craziness there. <laughs> So we get into the movie. We uh, mm -hmm. we see Emperor Palpatine. Uh, getting back to, to Easter eggs here on Walking Carpet. Uh, we talk about Exegol. We talk about the unknown regions. Uh, but we get uh, a quote that is 
quite literally copied from episode three when uh, Palpatine is talking to Anakin. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this whole sequence here as uh, Kylo Ren is discovering Palpatine is is still around? I loved this sequence very much. This was actually very cool. I mean, this is part of the challenge to insert Palpatine into the narrative in the third act of a story where he wasn't present in the last two movies at all and you have to make him up to be the big bad this whole time. Now me... This is going to jump to including that next Easter egg on our list. I'm a big fan of the books and the comics from the expanded universe back in the 90s and 2000s before Disney got a hold of the Star Wars property. And one of my favorites was this comic series from the early 90s called Dark Empire that deals with Emperor Palpatine returning as a clone. And I just love the fact that they incorporated that aspect into the storyline, but his introduction when the, you finally see Palpatine again, he quotes one of the most famous lines from Revenge of the Sith. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. And it was just so chilling. And it just set that perfect tone that Palpatine was back. Yeah, I gotta say, this is one of my favorite uh, sequences in the entire film. Uh, it mm-hmm. just, the way that we see um, Kylo Ren, on Mustafar, by the way, didn't even occur to me until afterwards. Duh. But to see him go there, a nice you know tie-in again to, to Vader in the previous films, and mm. then the way he approaches the Emperor, and the, hearing the Emperor's voice again, man, they... And they released this, most of this scene early as a little bit of a teaser a few days before the movie came out. Uh, goodness gracious, uh, goosebumps, absolute chills just all the way around. And, and Ian McDermott is always, man, like, goodness gracious. He's just, he's mm-hmm. gold. Yeah. Beautiful sequence. That was uh, the perfect way to start that movie. Oh my gosh. It lays it out so much and it tells you where you are and it, oh man, I, I, mm-hmm. that there's certain scenes I just kind of like want to watch on repeat and that's, that's definitely one of them. And the nice thing was we didn't see really we didn't at all see Palpatine's face in the trailers or lead up to the film. So mm-hmm. that was such a reveal. Like, what is he going to look like at this point? Right. He's, he's thrown down yeah. the shaft in, in episode six. And then we get here just absolutely, uh, they nailed it. Uh, right. And tie it into that. As you mentioned, there's the kind of the callback to dark empire. And mm-hmm. we, uh, we get a quick answer really on, on Snoke because the big question uh, going into episode eight and a little bit into nine was, hey, where the heck did Snoke come from? Well, mm-hmm. turns out he was made by Emperor Palpatine. We see Snoke, uh, or a few versions of Snoke, kind of laying in the, that pot there as Kylo Ren is about to find the Emperor. And uh, I love that the Emperor talks about how he made Snoke and how he was every voice that Kylo Ren ever heard inside his head. So hearing James Earl Jones' voice there, as well as Andy Serkis's, an- another nice tie-in. Uh, did you like how, uh, for what it's worth with all of this, they handled uh, kind of Snoke's origin and dismissed it pretty quickly? Yes. I think that, honestly, having had Snoke killed off in Last Jedi, spending a lot of time on Snoke would have been a bad move. There was so much they were fitting into this movie already that I don't think you need a lot of time. That quick little visual of the clone vat seeing multiple bodies 
and just that line of I made Snoke and moving on. It's enough. It's enough. Do I want to know more about why that happened the way that it happened? Absolutely. But I know that there's going to be tertiary material at some point. Like, there's going to be some book or comic. Now that the trilogy's done, they're going to fill those gaps in. I don't need that yet. That was enough for the movie to keep us moving along and put Palpatine front and center. I love that line, how Kylo Ren says, basically, I, I killed Snoke and I'll kill you. And he, mm-hmm. he just goes, I made Snoke. Like, you silly little boy <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Their relationship was just wonderfully played out. Uh, it uh, So in the article for Vanity Fair, it jumps forward a little bit here uh, to the middle of the movie, and uh, we get the lightsaber catch. Uh, so Rey is hurling the Skywalker lightsaber basically into a flaming TIE fighter, which was a cool sight in, a, in and of itself. Uh, but of course, Luke uh, says a Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. Mm-hmm. And I... in a way... Uh, mm-hmm. No, go ahead. No, it's fine. It's fine. I think that that scene is pretty good in context. And that's coming from somebody who had his heart broken by Luke in The Last Jedi, but learned to love it over the you know succeeding years. Yes, it can be looked at as just another slap in the face towards what The Last Jedi was trying to do. I tend to look at it more as Luke's character has grown. And I like that. A lot, you know, like he's he kind of got over that moment of depression before that he was in in most of The Last Jedi and in his spirit, you know, existence now and his final moments training Ray. I was wrong. This is who I am. This is who I should have been to you. I really appreciate having those moments. Yes, it was done a little flippantly, but I still think it was handled well enough. I like it. I and I don't feel like it really spit in the face of Last Jedi. I, I tend to feel more like you did, where it was it was showing Luke's growth, like mm-hmm. and he a little bit older Luke, so a little bit sarcastic, a little bit little bit whimsical. He hasn't seen Rey, we assume, uh, since the events of Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. So when she sees him, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, Luke, you're 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 here, you're Force Ghost form. Um, so I kind of liked it. Um, and of, of course, there's a little bit, um, a little bit of me that's excited that it's like, all right, Luke got to hold that lightsaber one last time. I don't know. <laughs> uh, right in nice. the same area, mm-hmm. it, it is. I love those callbacks. It's important to me. <laughs> uh, we get the uh, the X-wing rising, uh, much as Yoda did in uh, Empire Strikes Back on Dagobah. So not only that, but I love uh, right after that we see. Uh, 3PO and R2 saying, oh, Luke, Master Luke's X-Wing, Red 5. But it's it's Rey that is piloting it. So that's a, a nice little callback. Uh, Brian, what did you think of the music that they played, which uh, basically just about recreated, helped recreate that scene from Empire? I wasn't the biggest fan of the X-Wing sequence. I get what they were going for. And I like that they use the music cue, you know, Yoda and the Force showing the um, tie-in. It's kind of meant to be like a full circle thing for Luke, who didn't believe in the Force on Dagobah. Well, didn't believe in the Force, but he didn't believe in his own ability or that the Force would give him what he needed. And here he is fully embracing it for Rey. Uh, it is a nice little character moment. I think it's a little late uh, it was nice seeing Luke do his thing and just be Jedi Master Luke. I think that was really nice. But 
all Ray, the hero of the story, is doing is just kind of watching, going, wow, Luke Skywalker is so cool for the minute that that's going on. And it's kind of at the expense of our hero of the story. And I'm one of the, the biggest Luke fans you're ever going to meet. And I would love that Luke gets his, you know, his day. I just, it felt a little cheap, you know? It didn't feel very genuinely earned to me. And I just, I don't know. But I will say the one thing that I do very much enjoy out of that sequence is Ray getting to wear Luke Skywalker's helmet going into battle. That really calls back to Force Awakens when she's, you know, in her hut, the uh, former AT-AT, and just sitting there and pulls on that rebel helmet and just looks up to the sky and dreams. You know, it's kind of like her binary sunset and having yeah. that moment for her to go off into battle and, you know, kind of bring that around. That part was actually really nice. I didn't necessarily need Luke pulling the X-Wing out of the swamp. We have Rey. She's powerful enough to do that herself already. We already saw her do the entire battle on the second Death Star at this point in the film. We know what she's capable of. It wasn't a matter of her being any, unable to do it. Um, it was just a matter of giving Luke a moment. And that was nice, but it was at the expense of her hero. Also, I will say it, I hate the fact that they named the ship Red 5. Luke's last designation in the Republic Rebellion Army is Rogue Leader. He hasn't been Red 5 mm. for years, even before. So calling it Red 5 is, again, J.J. picking romanticism of the old movies over the actual canon and lore. So I get it. It's not to my taste. I get those people who love that, and that's awesome. Not me. That's a pretty fair point. Um, I never even uh, never even occurred to me. I totally forgot about uh, Rogue Leader. Yeah, and uh, you're right. That's the last ex designation. Um, yeah, I think uh, romanticism is the right word for it because to to do that was like, oh my gosh, this is like Empire Strikes Back. You know, this is... Um, mm -hmm. It felt like it was their moment to be like, hey, here's happy, smiling Luke Skywalker <laughs> instead of... Absolutely. Uh, the Luke we saw in Last Jedi, which I feel was fully validated. Uh, but definitely some people didn't like it, so uh, that's the direction they, they definitely took with it. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. It's a nice uh, moment to a point, you know, and I'm glad that people enjoy it. And I, I, I do think that the music callback, it was nice. It was really nice to have that. Yeah, you can't go wrong with John Williams, no doubt about it. And I feel like we'll, we'll no. do an episode on uh, some of our our favorite tracks uh, or score moments from the scores at, at, uh, at various times. Um, so I'll, also a really nice um, thing. I think we saw this in the trailer, but uh, mm -hmm. we do see uh, from Star Wars Rebels, the, the ghost. Um, and it is during uh, the, the last battle there as we get uh, the legion of people, if you will, uh, to <laughs> go and try to take down the, the final order. Um, I gotta tell you, and I think, you know, we touched on this last episode, that is a, a choke-up moment for me to see all those yeah. ships there. Very much, uh, very much a Avengers Endgame, when the the heroes are back. Uh, all, all together. On a different scale, because, you know, they're just people, if you will. But, uh, man, uh, it, looking at the visual on that and the thousands of ships, it's really quite a breathtaking shot. It is. It really is. I, 
I love that shot. Every time I talk to anybody about Rise of Skywalker, that is one of the key shots, key sequences that is always mentioned. It's seeing that many people from all across the galaxy coming and saving. No army, no formal military training, just people. That's that's really awesome. And that's one of the things about Star Wars that I always love. And I love that that got to be exemplified in that shot and shown at the end of uh, you know this this movie. And it's just so beautiful seeing all those little tiny Easter eggs in this shot. Like you have the Falcon, you have the Ghost, as you mentioned. You know, you've got all these ships that we've seen in the previous, you know, uh, films leading up. You've got a lot of the assets from Rogue One. You've got like the Hammerhead Corvettes. You've got the Tantive IV. You've got all the Rebel ships from the original trilogy era. You have Han's ship from The Force Awakens, that smuggler ship that he had where all the, um, the Rathars were on. That's in the background there somewhere. Uh, it, the Razor Crest from The Mandalorian is in there. It's just so many little tiny tie-ins to all of the Star Wars lore, and that's the perfect scene to do it in. Oh, it's so beautiful. Just our, it is. not even you know the tie-ins are absolutely amazing. It, it really wraps up all of Star Wars, but uh, just the the art artistry from uh, what they they had to do to to kind of work all those in. Uh, they, they could have screwed that up, and they, they did not. Uh, that That's one for the ages. I get goosebumps talking about that one. Uh, yeah. it, let's, so we... I don't know if this is so much an Easter egg or not, uh, but in talking about uh, Ray's ability to, to heal, um, because we see Baby Yoda do this in The Mandalorian, uh, I think it was a day before uh, Rise of Skywalker came out. Um, so in the episode of Mandalorian, Baby Yoda is able to heal we get to rise of skywalker and uh ray is able to to heal that that creature of course later on uh we see this this kind of go back this dynamic go back and forth between ray and uh and ben solo and mm -hmm. it, it's funny brian like i think about this and how i saw it at first was like oh my gosh this is the power that anakin was was trying to to find out and then as, as time went on, I was like, but it's, it's really not because he's saving, you have to save someone essentially in, in we think at the expense of your own life. We're, we're not sure hundred percent that Anakin would have done that. We don't know where that story would have gone, but to mm -hmm. see in a way, Ben Solo, he'll, you know, kind of a love interest to, from what the movie does here. And I, I think JJ Abrams called them kind of force soulmates at one point. To see him do that to to Ray is almost, in a way, finishing what Anakin, not Darth Vader, started. Even though it was not what Kylo Ren referenced in Force Awakens. That, you know, I will finish what you started. So, mm -hmm. what did you think of like the, the whole healing dynamic uh, from what we saw? Of course. Yeah, I mean, Force healing is, in, at least in the older continuity, it's new to the films. And it's new, obviously, with Mandalorian for live-action uh, shows. It's been around since the 90s for the Expanded Universe, but it's not been used in this way. And I love the way that the Rise of Skywalker actually contextualizes it. Because Palpatine uses the reverse of that by sucking the energy from the Force Dyad from Rey and from Ben to heal his body. And I just kind of really like that idea that the dark side variant of this power is you are taking that away from somebody and giving it to yourself. Whereas... The light side, the Jedi way, is to give it freely from yourself to heal somebody else. I really like that part. 
I'll be honest, I did not think about it in terms of Anakin's story before. That is actually a really interesting way to view that. I wish that was tied in a little bit more in the movie. I know they really wouldn't have been able to do it without really veering off into an old prequel tie-in, given the plot that they had, but that would have been really nice to see. That really would have been nice to see. I like the way that that's framed up. Yeah, um... There's there's a lot going on, and I think it would have been tough for them to slow down and either veer off, like you said, or explain a lot of it. Um, so yeah. I feel like they did what they, they kind of could with the time. Um, but, as you also mentioned, we'll be getting a lot more of the, the fill-in, the blanks here. Uh, the trilogy's done, so we don't have to wait for the movies to release, so those big decisions can be made. We'll get a lot of comic books, as, as we have been. We'll get more novels, um, you name it. Hopefully even some video games. That would be great. The, uh, uh, yeah, give me that. Um, I have a, a bad feeling about this. Uh, everyone loves it. Of course it goes to Billy D. Williams. He gets the honors of saying it in this movie. Uh, Han Solo says it in Force Awakens, and uh, BB-8 uh, apparently says this very early in uh, The Last Jedi to, to Poe Dameron. So who else, Brian, who else gets the honors than Billy D., right? I love it. I think it's a great choice. <laughs> it's got to be. It's nice bringing him back. That was one of the first uh, let's see here. Actually, got to say. Did we cut out again? I'm kind of scrolling through. What um, the the dark ray sequence. So we had kind of mm-hmm. you know this is a it was fun fan art on the internet for for years and fun fan theories and we kind of uh, got to see all of that come to fruition with uh, Ray and the double bladed lightsaber. Uh, which, of course, mirrors, uh, again, what we saw with Luke in Empire Strikes Back, in a way. Uh, how do how you think that was executed on the, the the second Death Star? Oh, I think that was one of the best sequences of the film. I, I love those facets of the movies where the character kind of has that moment of looking into themselves. I actually really like how that was used in the marketing to kind of throw people off to have that dark side ray with that hinge saber suddenly show up in one of the trailers and that was the only visual they gave you at the end of that trailer and just watch the internet freak out for a few days over oh my god is ray gonna turn to the dark side what's this (laughs) and then you find out it's a force vision and kind of a test for your hero uh i i love that whole sequence and showing that opposite side of don't be afraid of who you are i mean that's the same stuff leia is saying to ray that's just contextualized in the dark and it shows you how hard it is to maintain that balance of good and evil i love that i think they did it that part really really well yeah i remember when that um that kind of hit the internet and i don't know where it showed first but it was before the trailer was released to the public and i want to say it was maybe uh, a comic-con anyway you like someone was there reporting on it and, and tweeting out stuff and they the i remember uh, Lou from the Geekiverse texting me and saying, yeah, Ray's got a double-bladed lightsaber and there's an image of Dark Ray and we don't know if it's like the movie, we don't know if it's uh, or her story in the movie or if it's a flashback or um, you know, an alternate path or an image and I just remember being like, oh my goodness, this is so exciting uh, because that's um, just as much fun as it is to talk about Easter eggs after a Star Wars movie, I think it's fun to speculate leading up to a Star Wars movie. So that was mm-hmm. the perfect little thing to little thing to drop. You know, it's a big thing. Uh, 
the uh, I don't know if this is again it's so much of an Easter egg, but maybe a nice callback. Um, and they say a Vader fanboy gets his wish, uh, which is kind of funny. So uh, Ben Solo, uh, basically, as we kind of talked about, how he uh, gives his life for Rey. Um, we see in Return of the Jedi how uh, Anakin Skywalker falls back as Anakin or uh, as Luke is is putting his shoulder on him, watching his father breathe his last breath. We kind of sort of get that with Rey and Ben Solo here. There's a little bit of symmetry. As uh, as Ben and her share a kiss, um, he f- he falls back and she's kind of grabbing his shoulder. So I've always loved everything in Star Wars when it comes to rhyming and as I mentioned the the symmetry of things. Um, how did you like how how that played out? Did you feel like it was uh, a fitting end for a, a redeemed Ben Solo? I do. I think that was good. I didn't have much investment one way or the other toward the romantic aspects that they had been hinting at and leaning in. I do like that they kept it a little bit more platonic before the kiss with the dyad, you know, and kind of linking them through the force more than just linking them in a physical attraction. I think that the ending with Ben giving his life force, which is the last living life force of the Skywalker you know, as far as bloodline anyway goes, uh, to Ray, who then carries on the name. I think that was lovely. I, um, I, I was, you know, all in, especially after force awakens and even maybe to a fall after last Jedi that, uh, Ben and Ray were going to be related. I really thought that's mm-hmm. the route they were going to go. And I kind of was rooting for it. Um, and it's funny, I wrote an article on Last Jedi um, and all the differences or, or explanations between the movie and the novelization, where the novelization kind of furthers things that the movie didn't have time to explain. And I wrote mm. in there um, that the hill that I would die on would be that Rey would either would be a Skywalker of some sort. That, you know, mm. not as she says at the end of the movie, but uh, like a blood-born Skywalker. Um, mm. And I, I didn't take a shot at... Uh, Raylo shippers, let's say, but I kind of was like, no, it's not happening. And uh, Jason Fry, the author of the the Last Jedi novelization, tweeted my my article out, which I was very thankful for. But on Twitter, it blew up, and uh, people were really mad at me for that, <laughs> for saying, "Give it up, man! It's not happening. Ray and uh, and Ben are going to be a thing." Well, I guess my foot was in my mouth on that one, and I was wrong. Uh, the kiss still caught me off guard. It's I did okay. not expect it. It did feel a little bit forced. It felt like a little bit of fanfare. Um, and that's not sour grapes coming from a guy who really wanted them to kind of be related. But, um, <laughs> you know, it is, it is what it is, I guess. That was kind of my moment in the movie where I was like, okay, come on, JJ. So for it to happen that far in the movie, I guess that's kind of a good thing for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, hey, you're looking at a film franchise where people find out they're related after they've kissed, so really, <laughs> it's not that far away from what we've already seen, so. But I get that. I get yeah. that. I know, I know there are All right. a we'll, ton we'll of Raylo shippers out there. Yeah, good for them. It, it was fine. I, I think the sequence worked out well. As it was it okay. It was, a, was we'll a make or break. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we finally get the Chewbacca receiving his medal. On screen in a Star Wars movie. Um, the way he looks at Maz Kanata after that is just so endearing, isn't it? Yeah, sure. 
I'll be honest with you, that was one of those things where I was just kind of like, I'm checking out. I can't. I can't. That was, again, the romanticism over the lore, you know? Um, it was beautiful. That's fair. I get why they did it. It's a funny little joke that, you know, Star Wars fans have carried that torch of, oh, Chewie never got a medal for 40 years, you know? <laughs> but I don't know, man. I To me, it's kind of silly because... It's just something that that's there for the fans more than it is for the story. Again, it's the romanticism of it more than the the actual lore of Star Wars. Um, I mean, in the Disney canon, at least, Chewie does get a medal later, which in itself is kind of BS. It's a little silly that they're like, oh, Chewbacca, here's this other medal that will give you five minutes after the cut or the next day. or That's silly, but... I love the way that it's been explained later on, though. The fact that Maz gave Chewie Han's medal, which is what it actually is. That part is really nice. I really like that. Because that's something that Leia's been holding on to as an heirloom, not an heirloom, but like a reminder of her marriage. And, you know, it's one of the few things that she's been able to, like, carry around with her, besides perhaps her wedding ring, that reminds her of her husband that she hasn't lost in this conflict because of the First Order. And just having that and having a way to connect to Han is a nice touching moment and giving that to Chewbacca that here's this thing that you know you helped achieve essentially that you know he was involved with the Battle of Yavin so he's part of that victory that this medal you know symbolizes but it's also belonging to your best friend and then also belonging to your best friend's wife, who's been a good friend to you for the last half century. That part of it is actually very nice. I do wish that part were in the movie, because I would have gravitated to that more. But that's just me being, you know, a wishful thinking fanboy. To the people who enjoyed the move, the medal just being there for, oh, Chewie finally got a medal. Good for you. <laughs> I, uh, what blows my mind, really, uh, in all of it, is that Maz Kanata is uh, practical. So not digital like Force Awakens. Huh. I did yeah, not know that. Exactly. I didn't. Uh, I did not know that until I watched the extra features. It never occurred to me. I, I knew she was uh, a digitally created character in Episode 7. Uh, we barely see her in Episode 8. Uh, but mm -hmm. in nine, um, it makes sense now looking back at it, but kind of crazy. Usually in Star Wars, we get, you know, the practical character and then eventually they're digitized. Here we had the opposite and I don't recall that happening. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, good for them. Yeah, that's actually really cool. <laughs> kind of amazing. Uh, but they, they pulled it off. The uh, kind of the last thing I wanted to mention here, um, Ben Bright, if there's anything you wanted to mention, well, uh, we can get to that in just a sec, uh, is, and, and not so much of a, an Easter egg, but I think a lot of people will appreciate it and, and don't even know this, uh, Babu Frick, who kind of, you know, stole the show in some way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. is, uh, is voiced by Shirley Henderson, uh, who was uh, Moaning Myrtle in the Harry Potter films. Uh, so... Yes. He, crossover here uh in terms of the the fandoms but watching the uh the extra uh features and behind the scenes on her 
her stone face as she she talks as Babu is just priceless uh, because JJ has a hard time holding it together every time she talks. And when she would have these kind of higher pitched grunts or little things or even like uh, the moment when she goes, the droid is ready. Like JJ just can't keep it together behind the camera and they're showing that. And I thought that that was really, uh, really, really funny. Oh, that's awesome. I've actually not seen this sequence yet. I'm going to have to go look that up after we finish recording this podcast because that sounds delightful to watch. <laughs> yes. Uh, Babu Frick I is a joy. <laughs> I could not agree more. Um, and Babu Frick showing up uh, at the Battle of Exegol in, in, the, um, in Zori's Starfighter just kills me. When he... He pulls up and goes, hey! Like, I admit, <laughs> the comedic timing there is just absolutely perfect. Um, so, Babu Frick, just a, just a fun little side character there. Gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, any beautiful. Any other Easter eggs um, that, you, that we didn't get to that you were looking to, to kind of bring up, Brian? I've got a short little list. I was looking through other Easter eggs that were brought up, seeing if there was anything that was, you know, new or exciting or just things that I was like, oh, yeah, of course, that's something that I really liked. Um, I think it's not really a secret since it was really mentioned a lot in the marketing leading up, but obviously the Exegol throne that Palpatine sits on and, you know, the climactic sequence uh, takes place was drawn, uh, at least sketched out by Ralph McQuarrie for Return of the Jedi back when the ending of Return of the Jedi was going to take place on the Imperial homeworld that was supposed to look a lot like Mustafar, the rock, craggy, you know, um, spindling arm throne was one of the concept designs that they sketched out at the beginning of that sequence. And I love the fact that they brought that back. I do appreciate the reverence that people give to Ralph McQuarrie artwork, I don't always think it's the best choice to make all the time for its own sake, but when it's used in a way that deepens a story, I think that's really cool. And I really like the inclusion of this throne for Palpatine because it was designed for Palpatine specifically and brought in with such a a menacing way. Um, One of my favorite Easter eggs that gets mentioned occasionally, but apparently went over the heads of many people, at least on the first time viewing The Rise of Skywalker, when our heroes get to Pisana and they uh, realize that the festival is taking place, C-3PO mentions, oh yes, that takes place once every 42 years, which is obviously, as you know, the time gap between the release of A New Hope in 1977 and the release of The Rise of Skywalker in 2019. So it was 42 years to tell the Skywalker saga. So that just, you know... I, I enjoyed that one very much. And one that I'm actually yeah. very surprised is not included on any of these lists here. John Williams' cameo. John yeah. Williams has a wonderful little cameo on Kijimi in this movie. He finally is seen in front of the camera for the first time in all of these movies, which have been featuring his beautiful music for nine films and have been homaged in the two other live action and homaged in Clone Wars and in Rebels, and many, many, many other works throughout the history of Star Wars. And we finally get to see this guy with his little droid eye patch, you know, tending bar on the way to Babu Frick's workshop. And it was just so lovely to see John Williams suddenly popping up there. 
And there was this <laughs> wonderful little sequence that I think it was the Star Wars show, the uh, Lucasfilm uh, web series put out, showing a lot of the props that were in that bar were actually designed to look like pieces related to other movies John Williams had scored. Uh, they actually had like a little thing that looks like one of the tanks from Jaws that's just hanging out. They have like a violin. They've got this. They've got you know a piece from Hook. I forget what it specifically was, but just it was such a nice little bit of care put into this one and a half second shot of John Williams just polishing a bar glass, and it was just so lovely to see. Um, what else? There was oh, I just learned this today. There was a little bit of legacy casting in the First Order um, conference room sequence. The first time that the First Order officers see Kylo back in his helmet and Kylo is having his little moment with Hawks of, is there something bothering you about my appearance, General? Among those officers and dignitaries is Alec Guinness's granddaughter. Hmm. I did not know that. I did not either. Sally Guinness is one of the First Order high commanders among that scene, along with Hux and General Pride and Kylo Ren, just scheming how they're going to take over the galaxy. The granddaughter of the original Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh my goodness, that's so crazy. Yeah. That is one, I think, I if in all, you know, the two lists we, we were looking at, um, and just stuff we've talked about, I did not know that. Uh, that may have been yeah. the one. My goodness, that is, um, that's a really, really good one. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, you got to love that. I love um, any time they, they've been able to, to have family members or um, relatives in some way, shape, or form being a part of these movies, even in just secondary roles. I love that. I love all of that legacy stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned... Um, the um so the the celebration every 42 years i love when uh at the end of it 3po kind of turns away awkwardly uh because he <laughs> like he said too much but he realized it finally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, i will say c3po's performance is probably one of my favorite parts of this whole movie there are a lot of really like good moments of Rise of Skywalker, like, even me, who's been hypercritical of this movie as a whole, I just absolutely love peak C-3PO. Like, Anthony Williams got his due on this movie. Such a nice send-off. He really was uh, one of the, the primary stars in, in my book in this. Um, you mentioned also the, uh, just talking about the Ralph McQuarrie concept on the Palpatine throne. I don't know mm -hmm. if you did this on purpose, but you said that it was very menacing, and that is very appropriate. Uh, being the Phantom oh, Menace. Oh, yes. Phantom Menacing. <laughs> so, oh, that should be the name of the episode. The Phantom Menacing. Oh, boy. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I take it back. Damn it. Um, We're going to own that. Yeah. Ah, oh, good, good stuff. Yeah, they... the well, With John Williams. Um, I remember... Mm -hmm. Uh, poking my friend on that uh, early night that I got to go uh, see the movie on and be like, that's John Williams, that's John Williams. Um, in, in seeing the uh, Blu-ray extra features, as you mentioned, uh, with all the mm -hmm. different props, J.J. Abrams takes, um, he takes the microphone and kind of talks about a bunch of them beforehand. And he mentions the number of props that are in it. 
And I don't know if it was just everything just about that you saw in that scene or if it was just related to the number of movies that John Williams had scored previously. But I gotta say, I appreciate that kind of appreciation and and outright fandom from a guy like J.J. Abrams. Yeah. No, that was a very lovely touch. And just the fact that, you know, it's all these movies that have nothing to do with Star Wars, but it was the rest of John Williams' career. I mean, the fact that they had stuff homaging... You know, Harry Potter, they had stuff homaging Home Alone. They had stuff homaging, what was the other one? Um, oh my gosh, Fiddler on the Roof uh, and everything. I mean, it was just, it, it was wonderful. It was really, really wonderful. It's just the layers like that, the attention to detail, stuff you don't even realize is there until someone, you know, tells you on a, like you said, the Star Wars show or on these extra features. Mm-hmm. I live for that stuff. I think it's it's so much fun, whether we're talking Star Wars or, or Harry Potter or like the Avengers with uh, any of the MCU movies, how many Easter eggs you, you truly see in the background. Um, it's just it's fun to talk about. And it, you, yeah. as a fan, you appreciate that they took the time to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, because it's a background Star Wars character, they've already given him a name. <laughs> do you know what John Williams' character's name is, Josiah? Yeah, it begins with an O, I think. It does. If I remember. It is Oma Trace, which is an anagram of Maestro. <laughs> oh, yes. I couldn't remember what the significance was, but I was like, I, it, it begins with an O and there's an M somewhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. I love that stuff. That's like, um, um, oh my gosh, hang on. Nick Gillard. Stunt coordinator on the prequels, being named Sindra League, I believe it was, as uh, you can see him uh, fighting Anakin in the security cam. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love it. that's why that was his name. You're right. That was... Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, I, I bet... It's funny, Brian, we mentioned this. Like when, uh, So when I was growing up in, in episode... Uh, Probably just before episode two came out, like my buddy and I, um, you know, it's it's funny to say, like, we kind of sort of wrote like a Star Wars fan fiction. And I mean, I was 11. So this thing was like eight pages long at, at best, mm-hmm. uh, you know, double space. And, <laughs> anyway, my uh, my character's name was Darth Yorel, which is just uh, my last name, Leroy, backwards. <laughs> it works, though. So it works very well. He, <laughs> It's probably something oh, no. I should make like my my uh, X, Xbox gamer tag at some point. I think it would make sense. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Just gonna get you into some cosplay at the next con you guys cover, and then you know you can be Darth Yorel realized in real life. Oh, <laughs> yes, I'm all about it. I gotta I gotta get in the game. I did my my kind of easy easy attempt at eggsy from kingsman last year but it doesn't really count because i really just kind of had to get a suit coat and i already had the right glasses and when i shave i kind of look like taron edgerton so you know that's it's it's not going far but uh i'm I'm diving into it (laughs) yeah hey there's nothing wrong with dipping your toe in the water to start man there's nothing wrong with that at all you'll be you'll be dropping crazy money on cosplay websites before you know it (laughs) I know I will be, <laughs> especially especially hanging out with with all of of you and your friends, Brian, with the amazing oh, yeah. amazing cosplay stuff that you guys have done. So <laughs> it'll be there. It'll be there. Uh, bef- 
before we we wrap up the, this episode of Walking Carpet, any anything that uh, we we wanted to mention for Easter eggs, or, or do we get to it all for now? Uh, well, I have um, a small announcement, I suppose. I have um, obviously the North Ridge does the Buffalo Bison Star Wars night every summer, and this weekend, as of recording, would be when that event was going to take place before coronavirus took over. We don't have anything out online yet, but coming up this week in lieu of that, we wanted to do something to raise money for the charity that we always raise money for at the Bison Star Wars Night, which is Compass House. It is a local Western New York charity that is a halfway house for kids and teens to keep them off the streets, keep them um, safe in situations if they have a bad home life, especially now when you are you know, dealing with pandemics or curfews or other events that are keeping people inside. Um, this gives them a safe alternative to keep them away from bad situations, keep them away from drugs, keep them away from, you know, any dangers to them and let them have some moments of being a child and a teenager. Uh, we will be doing an online fundraiser for them in the coming week. Uh, so check out the North Ridge's Facebook information. I believe it's facebook.com slash the North Ridge. We'll have that information out soon. Uh, we're just not quite ready to launch yet, but we will probably have that information out very shortly. And anybody who can contribute anything, I know there are a lot of wonderful charitable causes for a lot of great purposes this month with everything that's been going on. Um, but anybody who can spare a little bit to help a great local charity, we would greatly appreciate it. So thank you guys. Oh, dude, that's so awesome to hear. Um, yeah. I I love every bit of it. Just doing what you can, spreading the word. Um, even you guys you know, taking that step up, not being able to do uh, the annual performance that you're able to do with Buffalo Bison Star Wars Night. Um, that's just awesome. I'm, I'm super stoked to, to hear you talk about that. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. Good stuff all around there. Um, so this, uh, you know, despite some of the technical difficulties, uh, a, a fun episode of Walking Carpet is always. Uh, Brian and I always have a, a nice conversation. We want you to get involved in the conversation. Get uh, on the Geekiverse social media, facebook.com slash thegeekiverse. Visit us at Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, uh, you can find all of our web shows at youtube.com slash thegeekiverse. And listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and many other uh, streaming devices and platforms. Uh, we uh, just celebrated our sixth anniversary month here at the Geekiverse. We hope you had as much fun as we did uh, just in talking about some of our favorite fandoms, whether it's Star Wars or Marvel or video games. Uh, we enjoy having those conversations with you guys. Uh, we wouldn't be here without you. That being said, we just released uh, our sixth anniversary t-shirt based on, I'm sorry everybody who's listening, Star Trek. Uh, so Pete Her, the Grumpy Geek himself, designed our 6th anniversary logo. Uh, I am wearing it here if you're watching the video version. Uh, based on Star Trek VI, believe it or not, of course, celebrating six years of the Geekiverse, uh, that is at the geekiverse.storeenvy.com. You can pick that up uh, right away, actually. So uh, we'd be honored if you'd check that out. Uh, Brian, if uh, fans want to interact with you on social media, where can they do that? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BP Stoyle. Good stuff. 
I am at Josiah D. Leroy. We'll be back for another episode of Walking Carpet next month. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to check out the Geekiverse's MCU rewatch. We are rewatching all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Uh, we just wrapped up uh, The Avengers, so we're six movies in. That is a fun uh, debate. We we get into ranking those uh, those movies at the end of every episode. So uh, get in the conversation there. It it hasn't gotten super heated yet, but I, I think once we get to Iron Man three, it, it may get a little bit uh, juicy, if you will. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But we'd uh, we'd love oh. if you'd join us for that. Uh, and if you're a Star Wars fan, check out our most recent episode of Pluscast, our all Disney Plus show. We talked about the uh, the ending of Star Wars: The Clone Wars, uh, so we'd love to to get in the conversation with you on that. For Brian, I'm Josiah. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Walking Carpet. We'll see you guys in just a few weeks' time. Be safe. <laughs>